Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. As always, be sure to check out our episode description. There you will find timestamps so you can skip around as much as you would like in the episode. You will also find our support link to help us out over here at Crime Dive, as well as the links to our TikTok and Instagram. Today's case is going to be about a cautionary tale of what happens when a man tries to groom an underage girl to take advantage of her. Sometimes it's done by people that you would never expect, that have known you almost your entire life, they're really close with your family, but for all you know, the whole time, they've been plotting to take advantage of you and your family. We are going to be detailing the kidnapping of Hannah Anderson and how her family unfortunately became a casualty in this matter. So let's get right into the case. Hannah Marie Anderson was born on July 22nd, 1997. Her parents' names were Brett and Christina Anderson and Christina went by Tina, so I'm gonna be calling her that for the remainder of the episode. Hannah also had a younger brother named Ethan. Hannah was described as being fun, loud, talkative. She was always happy and she loved gymnastics, dance, and cheer. Hannah attended Sweetwater High School where she was on the cheer team. As I said, she loved it. She was a very active girl. Hannah's mother, Tina, was described as being a very helpful, great friend. She always gave advice whenever somebody needed it. She was just somebody that you could rely and depend on. Ethan Anderson was described as being fearless, very funny, and really good at fishing at a young age. He loved fishing and he was so good at it for being such a young boy. Everybody just thought it was so hilarious because sometimes they would all go fishing together and no one could catch a fish, but Ethan would be over here catching everything. It was just very effortless for him. He was just fun to be around. The Anderson family was very close and they did everything together. They would go camping, go out to eat, just hang out in the house. They were just all around a very tight-knit family. The Andersons had a close family friend named Jim DiMaggio and Hannah and Ethan would call him Uncle Jim. He had been around the family for over 20 years. He was even in the hospital when Hannah was born. Brett, Hannah's dad, met Jim in 1996 when Jim was a subcontractor for the company Brett was working for out in San Diego, California. When they met, they hit it off instantly and became best friends and this friendship lasted for a very long time. So let's talk about Jim DiMaggio or James Lee DiMaggio Jr. He was born on January 17th, 1973 in Germany because his dad was in the military. It was said that his mother passed away from cancer when he was young, but Jim was described as being happy, funny, and always willing to lend a hand to anybody who needed it. He also had a pretty lively personality. Now, Jim never got married or had kids. I mean, he wanted to, but he just never made that step in life. And it was said that this is why he spent a lot of time around the Andersons because they were a very close, tight-knit family with kids and he just wanted to feel like he was a part of a family. Jim's dad has a pretty interesting past and it's eerily similar to his son's future. Jim's dad's name was James DiMaggio Sr. And back in 1989, when he was 35 years old, he had confessed his love to a 16-year-old girl. And this girl was the daughter of a woman 
he had been dating. I guess he wanted this girl to run away with him or be with him, but she said no. She turned him down because he was twice her age and he became upset. So he decided to break into her home while she and her boyfriend were there and he tied them up and held them hostage at gunpoint but luckily they were able to escape. Unfortunately, James DiMaggio Sr. ended up committing suicide on August 10th, 1995. So it's very interesting that Jim's father has such a violent past and it honestly painted the picture for what was to happen in the future for Jim. So around early 2013, the Andersons were living in a gated community in East County, San Diego. Hannah and her best friend, Marissa Chavez, wanted to look for some things to do on the weekends. I mean, they were pretty bored. They're teenagers, didn't really know what to do. And at the time, they were about 16 years old. Hannah suggests that, hey, we should hang out at Jim's house. He lived in a log cabin home on a big property. Now it was around 45 minutes away from where the Andersons lived. Jim was chill. He was cool. He kind of just let them do whatever they wanted. I mean, he was known as the cool uncle. Hannah's friend Marissa described Jim as being trustworthy, nice, and very caring almost immediately after she met him. And as I said, he let them do whatever they wanted. They could drink, they could smoke. He would talk to them like he was their age or like they were his. He just hung out with them, vibed with them, gave them rides wherever they wanted, let them have parties and friends over as much as they wanted. He would just let them do their thing. He would hang out for a little bit, say hi to everybody, then leave, go upstairs, and they had the whole place to themselves. The girls loved this. They loved having a place where they could just get away from their houses and be teenagers because Jim will let them do things that their parents never would. And Hannah's parents trusted Jim, so they were fine with her being there. I mean, they had known him for over 20 years, so they saw no problem with her going over there. Now, Hannah and Marissa were pretty close to Jim because of how he would treat them. He treated them like they were adults. They would text with him almost every day, were in constant contact with him, almost like he was their friend. The girls would ask Jim if he had friends of his own and he would say he hung out with them when they weren't around. So they were just like, okay. Jim would even take Hannah on day trips. He would take her to Malibu, Hollywood, and it would just be the two of them. But this was seen as normal. I mean, he was cool Uncle Jim. In April of 2013, Hannah's dad, Brett, had actually lost his job and he had been unemployed for a few months, but he had gotten a job offer in Tennessee. Now the family lived in California, so he was gonna have to relocate temporarily because he just needed a way to make money for his family. So he decided to take the job. Now this was really hard on Brett because he was so close to his kids and his wife and he didn't wanna be away from them, but he knew that it was best for them if he was making some money, had it coming in so he could support them. And Jim promised that he would watch after them while Brett was gone. And he did just that. He continued to watch over the family, make sure they were good. He would still allow Hannah to come over his house and hang out. She started going there almost every weekend. I mean, he was keeping them occupied, giving them this cool hangout spot. Jim didn't have very many rules, but he had two that were pretty strict. And these rules were, he didn't want the boys that they had crushes on to come over and they were not allowed to go upstairs. If the girls even stepped on the stairs, he would run out of his room and yell at them and say, no, 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 you can't go upstairs, no. Now, if that doesn't sound like some serial killer shit, I don't know what does. Sounds like something right out of a movie. Like, oh, you can come over as much as you want, but don't go upstairs or don't go in the basement. It's, it's like something a creep would say. One day, 
Jim was picking the girls up from school and a love song came on in the car. Now it was normal for him to pick them up. I mean, he would always give them rides wherever they wanted. And Marissa and Hannah started talking about how they weren't in relationships and they wanted to be in one. And they're like, oh, I just want to find a man who will sing about me like this and feel that way about me. You know, regular teenage girl stuff. It was at this moment that Jim started giving Hannah a lot of compliments, telling her how pretty she was and how any guy would be lucky to have her. Then out of no where. Jim says, not in a creepy way, but if you were my age or I was your age, I would date you. you now at this point, Hannah was 16 and Jim was 40. After he said this, the car got really quiet and it got very, very awkward. Because the silence had gotten really awkward and the air just became heavy, Jim said, oh no, 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 like it's not a weird thing. Like I don't want it to be weird, but I have a crush on you. But then he backpedaled and said, only if we were the same age though. I would only have a crush on you if we were the same age. But you can't really come back from that. Hannah got very, very uncomfortable and became very quiet. And not much was said for the rest of the car ride. After Jim said this, the girls stopped talking to him, which was the right thing to do. They were done going over his house and spending every weekend over there and having parties because after he said this, they just got a weird vibe from him and they really started to distance themselves. I mean, Hannah was thrown off by this comment. She was very uncomfortable and they realized just how weird it was that Jim spent most of his time with two teenage girls. They were starting to get the vibe that maybe he didn't have friends of his own and that he was hanging out with them for much darker reasons. Jim could sense that Hannah was keeping his distance from him, so he decided to send her a really long Facebook message saying that he missed her and that he didn't mean to be creepy or make her uncomfortable. He was just complimenting her. But by this point, it was too late. Hannah was done going over to his house alone. She was very uncomfortable with what he had said and she was just done spending all that time with him. Now, I do wanna make a note that Hannah did not tell her parents about what Jim said. She didn't wanna tell them because she was scared that she was gonna ruin the relationship and the friendship that they had. So she decided to keep it to herself. On Saturday, August 3rd, 2013, around two in the morning, Hannah was texting Marissa before she went to bed and they were making plans to hang out the next day after Hannah's cheer camp. They were gonna meet at Hannah's house, get burritos, do their makeup and just chill together. The last message Hannah sent Marissa before going to bed was, see you tomorrow, love you. The next day comes and Hannah hasn't texted Marissa at all. And the time for them to hang out was getting closer, but she still hadn't heard from her. So Marissa's wondering, why Hannah's not answering, she's kind of confused, when all of a sudden, she gets a text from one of her friends telling her to turn on the news. And they're like, look what happened to Jim's house. So she turns on the news and she sees that Jim's house is on fire. This friend texts Marissa again and says, wasn't Hannah supposed to be there? But Marissa says, no, no, me and Hannah were supposed to hang out. But as time goes on, Marissa realizes that Hannah hasn't answered her text. She's getting really worried that maybe Hannah was supposed to be at Jim's and maybe she just didn't know about it. Over in Tennessee, Brett, Hannah's dad, is at work when he gets a text from his cousin telling him the same thing. He's saying, hey, turn on the news, Jim's house is on fire. But Brett was at work so he couldn't just turn on the news. So he decides to look it up online and he sees a video of Jim's house on fire. Now Brett was very nervous and he immediately texts Jim if he was okay, hoping that he wasn't home when the fire happened. But Jim never responded. So at this point, 
Brett is very nervous because Jim is one of his closest friends and he sees that his house is on fire and that he's not answering. So he's terrified that his friend could have died in this fire. Brett tries to call Hannah and his wife, Tina, to find out what's going on, but no one was answering him. So Brett was very concerned. He's all the way in Tennessee. So there really wasn't anything he could do about it. So the fire department responds to Jim's house, which was completely destroyed. And as the fire was put out, they found a woman's body in the ruins covered by a tarp. She was found in what used to be the garage of Jim's home and she had been killed. Investigators lifted the tarp and saw the victim's feet had been bound together with a plastic cable tie and she had duct tape wrapped around her mouth and neck. There was also a cut on her neck. Investigators also found the Anderson family dog, Callie, next to the woman's body under a sleeping bag and the dog had been shot and killed. Outside of Jim's home, was a white vehicle and police ran the license plate and found that it was registered to Christina Anderson, Hannah's mom. After pulling up the registration, they were able to use the picture on Christina's license to identify her as the deceased person in the garage. And it was determined that Christina Anderson was dead at only 44 years old. Her cause of death was ruled to be blunt force trauma to the head. She had been hit in the head at least two times and there was a crowbar with blood on it found near her body. As investigators continued to search the home, they found a small body, but they couldn't confirm who it was because it had been burned beyond recognition. Now, at this point, Hannah is missing and Ethan is missing. Given the size of the body that was found in the home, after further searching, it could be most likely concluded that this body belonged to Ethan Anderson. But at the time, investigators couldn't determine this and they didn't want to assume that it was Ethan and not another child. So they decided to put out an Amber Alert and include both Hannah and Ethan's pictures and information in it, just in case the body that was found wasn't Ethan. Jim DiMaggio, was then listed as the person believed to have kidnapped them because he was also missing. So his blue Nissan Versa truck was included in the Amber Alert. Eventually, investigators were able to identify the second body found in Jim's home as eight-year-old Ethan Anderson. And they did so after using his father Brett's DNA. This was absolutely devastating for Brett. I mean, he had lost half his family and he has no idea where Hannah is. So at this point, I'm sure he's probably assuming that Hannah may be dead too. After Ethan's body was positively identified, he was taken off the Amber Alert and police began desperately searching for Hannah, hoping that she was still alive. Attempts to reach both Hannah and Jim have failed. It had been determined that their phones were turned off. Jim most likely turned their phones off to avoid them being tracked down by police. Police continued to search what was left of Jim's garage and they found that there was an attic in his garage that had been burned down. So they searched through the remains of that. Investigators found trash bags full of evidence. There were empty boxes that previously had camping gear in them, as well as a hunting knife package with no knife inside. There was also an empty box that previously had handcuffs in it. And this led police to determine that Jim may have taken Hannah out into the wilderness for camping. So this made the area that they had to search in 
much more expansive. The community of San Diego, where Hannah lived, really rallied behind the search effort and they did what they could to organize and put out the word on social media. Marissa decided to get some of their friends to put up flyers all over town, hoping that somebody would recognize her and help find her. Even John Walsh got involved. And if you don't know who he is, he is the host and founder of America's Most Wanted, a huge popular TV show. He contacted Brett and told him to make sure that he keeps Hannah's case in the media because if the buzz died down around it, he said that Hannah would never be found. It's really sad that media coverage is what gives your case priority and not the fact that a human life is in danger, but John was right. This was the best chance for Hannah to be found. Public pressure creates movement. So Brett did just that, but I can't imagine how hard this was for him. For him to have to fight for his daughter back, hoping and praying that she's alive, she's all he has left now because his son and wife are gone. His daughter is with the person who took their lives. That has to be such a scary feeling. As police continued to investigate, they checked Jim and Hannah's phone records and they saw that the day Anna went missing, there were 13 phone calls exchanged between the two of them. On August 8th, 2013, investigators in San Diego continued their search for Hannah when they were suddenly contacted by an Idaho state trooper saying that Jim's blue Nissan Versa truck was found in a very remote area outside of Cascade, Idaho. This area was called the Salmon River, otherwise known as the River of No Return. And this was a trail marked by a whitewater river that had very steep and rugged terrain. This trail was no joke. It was very dangerous to hike and raft on. Now, when Jim's truck was found, it was said to have been covered with leaves and branches to purposely conceal it. And this really worried detectives. They believed Jim had no intentions of coming back with Hannah, hence the name, the river of no return. Once you hike down, there's no coming back. That same day, police received a call from two people and they said that they were riding horseback near this trail when they saw a man and someone who appeared to be his daughter. They said that the girl looked uncomfortable and didn't make eye contact with them. They also pointed out that the man looked dressed for hiking, but the girl didn't. She was wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt. She was also holding a cat. Police found out that Jim owned a gray tabby cat that matched the description of the cat the girl was holding. Investigators really believed that the two people that responded were definitely Jim and Hannah, and they wasted no time getting down to Idaho. On August 9th, 2013, hundreds of law enforcement officials from San Diego immediately went to Cascade, Idaho. They were canvassing the area of wilderness that Hannah and Jim were believed to be in. They even had an FBI plane circling the area to see if they could spot anything from above. The following day, on August 10th, Officers that were in the FBI plane noticed a male, a female, and a small animal near Moorhead Lake. The female was blonde, which seemed to verify that this person was in fact Hannah Anderson. Now, this area was very hard to get to. As I said, the terrain was very rugged, very rough in the wilderness surrounding where they were. The FBI couldn't just land their plane there because there was no flat terrain to safely 
land the plane. So they would have to exit the plane from a ladder while it was hovering above the ground. And then they had to hike almost two hours by foot to get to Hannah. So as there were patrolmen on the ground hiking to where Hannah was, there were some officers that stayed in the FBI surveillance plane so they could look out to see if they could have a better understanding of where Hannah's exact location was. It was at this moment that officers in the plane noticed the young woman that they believed to be Hannah waving a piece of fabric and it looked like she was trying to get their attention. A little before 5.30 p.m., law enforcement surrounded Jim and Hannah's campsite and they were undetected. No one saw that they were there. Jim didn't see them and neither did Hannah. But meanwhile, the FBI was deep. They were surrounding them entirely. The surrounding public finally got the word that Hannah Anderson had been found and her best friend Marissa was in complete and total shock. She couldn't believe they found her friend. She just wanted to see her and hold her and be like, oh my gosh, I got my friend back. So now I'm going to tell you the story in Hannah's words. Let's go all the way back to Saturday, August 3rd, 2013. Jim had reached out to Tina, Hannah's mother, to let her know that his house was in foreclosure and that he was moving. He wanted her, Hannah, and Ethan to come over for one last dinner at his house. Now, remember, Jim had told Hannah that he had a crush on her and would date her and said all that creepy shit to her in the car. So by this point, she still was not comfortable being around him. She didn't forget that. Now, she never told her parents that he said that. So she tried to talk her mom out of going, even though her mom didn't know why. But Tina insisted that it was only right that they went over there. So Tina dropped Ethan off at his football practice and then dropped Hannah off at cheer camp. Ethan's practice ended a little earlier. So Tina picked him up and went straight to Jim's and Jim was going to pick Hannah up from her cheer practice and bring her back to the house. Now, this was very normal for the family. I mean, Jim had given Hannah plenty of rides. Tina was perfectly fine with this, but Tina didn't know that Hannah wasn't comfortable around Jim because she didn't know what he had said to her daughter. Hannah was pretty uncomfortable. She didn't wanna be in the car with him alone when he picked her up, but she decided that she was just gonna go ahead and suck it up and deal with it until she got to his house because she knew that her mom and brother would be there and she wouldn't have to be with Jim alone anymore. When they arrived at Jim's house, Tina's car wasn't there and Hannah was very confused and she asked Jim where her mom and Ethan were and Jim said oh they might be at the neighbor's house and Hannah thought that was a bit odd but she didn't think too much of it so they walk inside Jim's house Hannah sees her mom's personal belongings just spread out on Jim's kitchen table so she goes what the hell's going on and as she turns around to ask Jim what's going on he throws her a pair of handcuffs and tells her to put them on and sit on the couch Hannah was absolutely terrified, but she did what he said. On a table in front of her was a gun with bullets sitting next to it. Jim sat next to her and told her that he was done with life and wanted her help to move to Idaho. And he took the gun and told Hannah that he wanted to play Russian roulette, which is a very, very dangerous game where you put one bullet in the chamber and pull the trigger to see if it will go off. Do not play this game. It is very dangerous. I do not condone violence of any kind. This game is crazy. So Jim's crazy ass decides that he wants to play this game with a 16 year old and he said that he would put the gun in his mouth, pull the trigger and if it went off, she was free to go. He puts the gun in his mouth and he pulls the trigger, but the gun doesn't go off. Then he proceeds to hold the gun to Hannah's head and she starts pleading and crying, begging for him to stop. 
Jim taunts her and he's like, oh, you sure? You sure? Like, we can play. Scaring the hell out of her. And then he just decides to pull the gun away from her head. Hannah asks where her mother is because she's very worried. She saw her belongings there, but not her car. And she's nowhere in the house. Jim says that she's in the garage with the family dog, Callie, and that they're fine. He also told her that she was the only person who could help him move to Idaho. Ethan was too young and Tina had a metal rod in her leg that made walking difficult. And Brett, her father, obviously lived in Tennessee for work. It was at this point in the conversation that Hannah heard Ethan's muffled screams coming from upstairs, almost like he had something in his mouth that was supposed to keep him quiet. I can't even begin to imagine the fear that Hannah must have been feeling, hearing her brother upstairs screaming like that helplessly. It's like the worst nightmare that I think anybody could probably ever endure. Once Hannah heard Ethan's muffled screams, she started screaming his name because she wanted to get his attention. She wanted him to know that she was there and she wanted to know if he was okay but when she does this Jim threatens to kill her if she does it again he decides to get up and go upstairs for a few minutes and Hannah suddenly stopped hearing Ethan she didn't know if he did something to him or if he threatened him or not but she never heard Ethan scream again Hannah decides to trick Jim into thinking that her stomach hurts. She says that she feels nauseous and she's just having stomach pains. So Jim decides to give her some pills to take for the pain. Hannah takes the pills and she washes them down with a drink that Jim gives her. But after this, she's knocked out cold and she wakes up hours later, handcuffed in the car. Hannah was so out of it when she woke up. She didn't even recognize where she was. She didn't know what had happened or how she got there. All she remembers doing is just waking up in this car. Hannah turned around and she saw a bunch of Red Bull in the back seat, which is, you know, the energy drink. She realized that they must have been in the car for a while if he drank those many Red Bulls. Hannah fell back asleep because again, she was still very out of it, very groggy. And she woke up a little while later and they were in Idaho. She decides to ask Jim where her family is because at this point she has no idea to which he tells her that they were probably looking for her at this point but hannah doesn't know that her mom and brother are dead as hannah and jim arrive in idaho they're in a pretty remote area and they were trying to park to find the trail of no return that i mentioned earlier as they were driving to find a place to park a woman in a car starts to pull up to them jim tells hannah before they roll the window down that if she tries to drop any hints of any kind that he will kill her and the person in the car. This obviously scares Hannah to death, so she doesn't try to tip the lady off at all. The woman proceeds to ask them if they're lost, and Jim says that they're just trying to get to the trail. The woman says, oh, okay, good luck, have a nice day, and she pulls off. Jim and Hannah decide to pitch a tent next to his car and stay there for the night, and Jim had Hannah handcuffed throughout the night. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that must have been. I mean, no more uncomfortable than she already was, having been kidnapped and brought to the wilderness of Idaho, not knowing if her family is alive or not. As they slept throughout the night, Jim would coerce Hannah into snuggling with him because it was getting cold. The fact that she was already so uncomfortable around him because of the comments he made, and now he's trying to kind of push up on her a little bit is just so creepy. And I wanna remind you again of their ages. Jim is 40 
and Hannah is 16. The following day, Wednesday, August 7th, 2013, Hannah's been missing for about four days at this point and her and Jim finally reach the trail. Jim forces Hannah to help him use branches and twigs to hide his car. So they completely abandoned his car and now they're going to conceal it. Now remember earlier when I told you that two hikers found Jim's car covered in all these branches and twigs and they notified the police. This was a major clue that brought police to search in this area. Hannah and Jim begin to hike on the trail and Jim had a gun and a knife with him, doing everything he could to make sure Hannah didn't run away. Hannah was wearing Jim's shoes and sweatpants and a t-shirt, and she was holding his cat. She just looked extremely out of place. His shoes were way too big for her. I think when she arrived at his house after cheer practice, she was wearing flip-flops, and Jim knew that she wouldn't have been able to hike or walk well in flip-flops. As Jim and Hannah continued to hike, Two riders on horseback were crossing the same path as them. And Jim told Hannah if she tried to alert them in any way, he was going to kill them, take their horses, and leave her in the wilderness by herself. He also threatened to kill her. Now, remember from earlier, these are the two hikers that tipped police off that said there's a man and a little girl that looks like his daughter. She's holding a cat and she looks really out of place. She doesn't look like she should be hiking. And this was another clue that investigators received for them to search in this area. So as the two riders come up to Jim and Hannah, they're talking to them. Things definitely look a little bit odd to them, but they continue to make conversation. Jim introduced Hannah as his daughter named Brianna. Whole time he talked to the hikers, Hannah said he kept his hand on his gun the entire time, which scared the hell out of her. In fact, she was so scared that any look she gave would have tipped them off that she didn't even look at them. The riders told Jim that they don't usually see people on foot on that trail because of how rough the terrain is. Because if you recall, they were on horseback. This encounter to the hikers was so strange. They noted the fact that Hannah didn't even make eye contact with them and something just fell off. And it was then that they reported this to police the following day. They also recognized Hannah's face from the Amber Alert. After the hikers left, Jim and Hannah set up camp at a nearby lake. Hannah was extremely exhausted and had been carrying a heavy backpack all day long. As she was hiking with this huge backpack on her, her knee suddenly buckled and snapped. She was in so much pain, she could barely walk. At this point, Jim tells Hannah that they're lost and she's like, what do you mean? And he pretty much admits that he's just been aimlessly walking around, not knowing where they were. He says, you know, in order to not be lost anymore, we got to signal some park rangers. He told Hannah that once the park rangers came and found them, they could tie them up, take their horses and ride back to civilization. By August 10th, 2013, Hannah had been missing for a week at this point. So while they thought of ways to signal a park ranger, they decided to stay at the camp for the day. Hannah was reading a book called How to Survive in the Woods that Jim had brought along because he wanted her to look in there and find ways to signal a park ranger to help them out of the woods. So Hannah's looking for ways to signal a park ranger and she found that they could use a smoke signal. So Jim decided to make one, but it wasn't really working. It was at this moment that Hannah looked up in the sky and saw a small white plane. This was the FBI surveillance plane that I mentioned earlier, but Hannah didn't know that. But she knew that if she could signal that plane, then she could escape. So she used 
a bright orange sleeping bag cover to wave around and signal the plane. I don't know if Jim saw her doing this or not, or if he thought that she was just signaling somebody to come help them get out of the woods. But either way, Hannah was trying to get the hell away from Jim, but she felt like she was just too far away and that they couldn't see her. But what Hannah didn't know was that not only was this the FBI, but they had in fact seen her and they were already working on a way to get to her so they could rescue her. Around 5 p.m., a few hours after Hannah tried to alert the plane, she told Jim that there was another SOS signal and he could use his gun to fire three times in the air to signal for help. So Jim says, okay, I'll try it. So Jim fires three shots in the air. But on the last shot, an unknown source returned fire from all sides. And this source was none other than the FBI, who at this point had surrounded Jim and Hannah's camp, and they were just waiting for their opportunity to move in and rescue her. Jim was in a gunfight with police that he knew nothing about, and they began shooting him from all sides, and he fell straight to the ground and was killed. Immediately after Jim fell to the ground, FBI agents moved in and rescued Hannah immediately. This has to be one of the most harrowing stories I have ever heard. When I first heard about this case, it gave me chills. For her to be able to live, to tell her story, and to hear it in her own words was just an amazingly sad experience. It was amazing because she escaped, she got out, she was smart, but it's sad because she should have never had to go through this. She was young, she was innocent, and she was taken advantage of. After Hannah was rescued, she was airlifted to a nearby hospital, but it was there that she learned her mother, Tina, and her brother, Ethan, and Jim were all dead. They told her that Jim's house set fire after they had both left and her mother and brother were found inside. It's believed that Jim used a timer to make sure that his house was set on fire by the time him and Hannah were long gone. Now, of course, this was so upsetting for her to hear. She knew something odd was going on with her mom and brother because of the clues that she found in Jim's house, such as Tina's car not being outside at first, then her stuff being scattered on the table, Ethan's muffled screams being heard from upstairs and suddenly just stopping. So she definitely knew that something bad may have happened, but to hear it be confirmed was just so jarring for her and upsetting. It must have been a very strange reality to live in to know that you have survived this horrible ordeal and you're thankful and you're glad, but knowing that you lost two of the most important people in your life, it's just the fact that those two realities can exist at the same time just really boggles my mind. Brett is now Hannah's only surviving family member and he was immediately notified of his daughter's rescue and that she was in fact alive. Brett immediately flew out to Idaho and went straight to the hospital to go see her. He said when he saw her, Hannah was skinny, pale, and had cuts and bruises. Now, when Hannah first saw her father, you would think that she would have been excited, she would have been happy that she was finally with her last surviving family member because at this point, they were all each other had. But Hannah was very standoffish towards him. In fact, she wouldn't even look at him. She wasn't comfortable being around a man because of the trauma that she had just faced with Jim. She was so uncomfortable being around men, period, that she asked her father to leave the room. She said she felt horrible having to do this, but 
her wounds were just too fresh. She just wasn't comfortable being around an adult man. And I completely understand this. When you've been through something traumatic like that, you do need a minute. Brett, of course, was very hurt, but he didn't take it personally. He understood that she probably went through something that he would never understand. So he gave her the time and space that she needed to feel comfortable around him again. Now, if you recall, the day Hannah went missing, she was supposed to hang out with her best friend, Marissa, and she had never texted her friend back because at that point, Jim had taken her phone and turned it off. But even though Hannah was missing, Marissa continued to text her, just giving her words of encouragement, letting her know how much she loved her and that she was hoping and praying that she was found alive. Marissa was hoping that one day Hannah would answer her just so she could know she was okay. And Marissa was finally able to get this text back from Hannah. Hannah texted Marissa and told her that she was safe in the hospital. Marissa couldn't believe that Hannah had actually answered her. That moment was probably so relieving for her to finally hear back from her friend. Can't imagine how powerless it must have felt for Marissa to just keep texting Hannah, not even knowing if she was alive, not knowing if she was ever gonna answer. Once Hannah recovered, she flew home to California to be with her father. And a few days after being home, Hannah met up with Marissa at a burger joint that they always went to. As soon as they saw each other, they immediately embraced. Just imagining that moment in my head makes me so happy for both of them. Just imagine being Marissa, you're getting ready to hang out with your friend. She's not answering. And then you find out that she's been kidnapped and you've been texting her words of encouragement throughout her time being missing. And out of nowhere, you finally get a text back from her saying that she's okay, that she's safe. I know that was probably one of the best moments of their lives to have been reunited, not even knowing if they were ever going to see each other again. But Hannah was still facing a very harsh reality. As I said, her mother and brother were gone now and she has to deal with that. It's a very hard adjustment to get back to regular life after having gone through something like that. But Hannah's not alone. She has her father. She has other family members that can really help her through it. And she has her best friend. Investigators realized after digging into this case more that Jim had been planning this for a long time. Jim told the Andersons that his house was in foreclosure and claimed that he wanted to have one last weekend at the cabin before he had to give the house up. And his neighbors said that Jim had been saying this for months. Now, if you remember when Brett took the job in Nashville, he was on the fence about it. He wasn't really sure if he wanted to do it or not because he didn't want to leave his family. And Jim told him to take the job almost as if he was pushing him out of the way so he could have easier access to his family. Now, remember earlier, the 13 calls that were exchanged between Hannah and Jim the day she was kidnapped? Well, Hannah said that she and Jim only texted the day she was kidnapped. So that way he would know where to pick her up at because normally when he would pick her up at school, he would pick her up from the front. But that particular day, he would have had to pick her up from the gym. She says they never talked on the phone that day. So these 13 calls between them are still unexplained. One thing that investigators found out that was very, very odd was that Jim made the beneficiary of his $112,000 life insurance policy, Hannah's grandmother, Bernice Anderson. And he made this switch in 2011 two years before the kidnapping and murders took place. According to Jim's sister, he told her that he wanted to leave this money to Hannah and Ethan's grandmother so she could take care of them. 
He didn't want to leave the money with her parents, Tina and Brett, because he felt like their relationship was too unstable and that they might get a divorce. But I think that's when Jim started planning the attack two years before because he knew that he might kill their parents, but he ended up killing Tina and Ethan instead. The boy that he said he was trying to protect. I feel like if you are going to leave money to someone's grandmother who may be taking care of them, stands to reason it might be because you plan on killing their parents or you might think their parents are going to die. So that was very, very odd when I heard that. It definitely makes me think he had been planning this for way longer than a few months. Jim's family decided to request a paternity test be done to determine whether or not Jim was Hannah and Ethan's father. They felt like, why would he leave them all this money if he wasn't their father? Now to me, this is absolutely absurd and makes no sense. Brett gave his DNA over to police and it was used to help identify Ethan's body. So why would Jim be the father? I don't even know why that was brought into question. And I honestly think it's pretty insulting to the victims. In 2015, a Lifetime movie was released about Hannah's story and it was called Kidnapped, the Hannah Anderson story. Now, Hannah and her family were not a part of this movie. She completely disagrees with its portrayal of her relationship with Jim. I haven't seen the movie, but I read about it and I would have to say I disagree as well. The movie suggests that the relationship between Jim and Hannah was much more flirtatious than what it was in real life. The movie made it seem like Hannah enjoyed Jim's advances towards her. There's even a scene showing Hannah's character blowing Jim's character a kiss. Hannah adamantly denies that she ever flirted with Jim in any kind of way or that there was anything going on between them. And I honestly think it's really fucked up that the movie tries to make it seem like it was Hannah's fault or somehow she asked for Jim to come on to her. I don't like that. Fuck that movie. Why would you blame a kid for what a creepy ass adult man did? Even if Hannah had a crush on Jim, like a little girl crush on him and flirted with him, that does not mean that Jim would have the right to flirt back. You're an adult. You know that that's not right. She was a child. My heart honestly breaks for Hannah and Brett. They lost the two most important people in their lives. The silver lining in this is that they both have each other to lean on. It's just so crazy to think that somebody they had known for over two decades could harm them like that. He was probably the last person that they ever expected would do that to them. Jim was there when Hannah and Ethan were growing up. He watched them grow up. He was pretty much just another family member to them. They called him Uncle Jim. And I know that Brett feels guilty that he wasn't there to protect his family, but ultimately there's nothing he could have done. Jim had been planning this for a while. He probably was gonna do it anyway, unfortunately. The fact that Brett's friend betrayed him so much so that he took advantage of his entire family and ended up killing his wife, his son, and traumatizing his daughter, probably forever, I would be so angry if I was him. But hearing the way Brett speaks, he definitely just sounds more grateful that he has his daughter. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you in the water soon.